think you've made your point. <laughs> I remember your years in the pit. I've never seen a more impressive display of martial prowess. You were a legend. In the name, Chrysanthemum drew crowds by the thousands. Your knuckle dusters are more feared than blasters. You've met every challenge. You've won every trophy. Is it not beneath you to dismember this unfortunate Trandoshan? Size Star Wars podcast. And I'm your host, Ted, and it's been a hell of a day. So I tried to take a day off work and ended up doing more work from home than I would have if I'd actually just gone into the office. What's that all about? Why did that happen? Anyway, I'm going to take you behind the scenes real quick and tell you that I had one show planned for you, uh, but a couple of things happened which changed everything. So now you're getting a very different version of the show today. Let me explain. I got a call from my good friend Travis today. Now, we call Travis the Podfather because he's either had his own show or been part in uh, other shows for, we're just going to say years. Super long time. So I trust him and I go to him with a lot of my questions and he's really never steered me wrong. Now, I won't give you the particulars of this call because that's none of your damn business, but I will give you like the Cliff Notes version. The Podfather told me basically to stop being an idiot and get out of my own way. So that's what I'm going to try to do today. We're going to have some fun. We're going to talk Chapter 4 of the Book of Boba Fett, of course. You, you know that's going to happen. We're going to introduce uh, a new idea today, and we're going to have a guest speaker yeah, that's right. But before we do all that, let's head over to the Force of Course News of the Week. The video game Lego Star Wars The Skywalker Saga is now set to release on April 5th. This game has faced so many setbacks and delays. I really hope that this April 5th release date is the final release date and we actually get this game finally. In Book of Boba Fett news, Ming-Na Wen says the ending of the series is going to change people's perceptions of the show. Basically speaking to the haters and the complainers saying they will see things in a very different light by the end of the season. What does that mean? Uh, I have to think... A lot of people are talking shit about Boba, saying that, you know, they've weakened him by sharing too much. And when we go through this week's episode, I think we've hit a turning point. I think the rest of the season, you're going to see the Boba Fett that you were expecting to see all along. 
In other streaming news, Bad Batch Season 2 is set for a spring 2022 release. I'm guessing we'll get this next, and then Andor, I would say, probably closer to summer. In other Book of Boba Fett news, Chapter 5 is said to be directed by Bryce Dallas Howard. She was responsible for bringing us Bo-Katan to the streaming screen in uh, one of my favorite episodes of The Mandalorian. She also gave us the first boat in Star Wars live action, so maybe we'll get more of that. And this concludes the Force of Course News of the Week. Okay, let's jump in. Let's go ahead and recap Book of Boba Fett, Chapter 4, The Gathering Storm. We open with Boba Fett laying in his tanning bed with his crest white strips in. Oh, no, no. We open with Boba Fett in his back-to-bed. Back-to-pod. Whatever they're calling it. So we know it's flashback time. We get to see Boba Fett on his slow-ass bantha cruising through the dune sea. And he comes up to Jabba's palace. And he's scouting the palace. Basically, he wants his ship back. We all know it's coming. We've seen it. We also see something strange here. Boba Fett, the animal lover. It was somewhat apparent in the scenes with the Tusken Raiders uh, where he was, you know, he apologized to to that uh, massive. He said no hard feelings made after he had knocked it out and used its teeth to basically cut his ties. But he's got a strong relationship with this bantha now. So, yeah, Boba Fett is an animal lover. And I dig that. I'm an animal lover myself. Um, I have to wonder how young Boba Fett felt in the Geonosian arena when uh, the Jedi basically killed the Reek, the Nexu, and the other thing I can't think of right now. I guess he was too involved with the death of his father to really worry about that. So anyway, yeah, we have Boba, we have Boba Fett, the, the animal lover, which is nice. Now, he sees the flares from Mandalorian Season 1. If you remember way back, there was an episode where Mando and Toro Calican, a new bounty hunter, were going after Fennec Shand. And she was sniping them in the dark, so they were sending up flares to kind of blind her a bit so they could get across to where she was. He sees those flares, and he's like, let me go check that out. And he heads across the desert to that area, and that's when he finds Fennec Shand all shot up. He takes her to the equivalent of a a tattoo parlor, but it's for mods. And you see some mods outside, and it's very Spy Kids, very Robert Rodriguez. These these guys have like these huge glasses, and they're all flexing and twisting and focusing. I assume I I didn't I didn't dig it. I didn't dig one bit of that. But he takes her inside. He puts her on a table, basically demanding service. And I'm gonna stop right now and just make a comparison. Listen. I'm not saying that mods are new to the Star Wars universe. Look at one of my very favorite characters, Lobot. You don't get much more mod than that. Someone who is lobotomized in order to make their brain function more critically, faster. I understand this. If we're looking at the Star Wars timeline, even before that, you've got those people in Solo in Dryden Voss's barge, his yacht, where the top of their heads are just completely missing, yet they're walking around serving people. That's a mod. Okay, I get that. In the sequel trilogy, we saw like aliens with robot legs, robot arms, this, that, and the other, and I it didn't seem to fit. I guess they're trying to bridge that gap, but I'm not here for it. I don't dig it, so that's where I stand. Okay, so Finnick gets robot guts. All right, that's fine. And I don't want to call this guy 
a doctor. I'm not going to do that because he doesn't want to cover up his work. So basically, she has robot guts, all these moving parts, uncovered on a desert planet. And that just seems irresponsible. I, I don't know. That just seems dumb. I don't I don't like that. Anyway, Boba takes her back to his campsite, and it seems like she recovers awfully fast. I have problems with this. Listen, last year, um, I had hernia surgery. I'm not saying I have robot guts. I do have like a screen door situation in my stomach somewhere. I don't know what they did. I, I wasn't really paying attention. But I will say there are similarities. We both had procedures in the gut area situation. I remember for, I don't know, maybe four or five days after my procedure, I had to roll out of bed. I couldn't, I couldn't do a sit-up. I couldn't sit up to get out of bed. Those muscles had been damaged. That activity was not going to happen. Now, we see Fennec basically come to after her procedure, and she seems as if she's not in pain at all. Like, she sits right up, no grunting. I'll tell you what, the first time I coughed, not only did I pee a little, but I cried. Basically, the moral to this story is, I'm not a badass like Fennec Shand. And I don't think I needed to put that out there on this show. I think that's evident to everyone that knows me. Anyway, her recovery is awful fast. Also, Boba Fett offers her a black melon and says, you know, it'll help you heal. Yeah, it tastes funky, but eventually you're going to develop a taste for it and you'll start to crave it. This reminds me of the first time I had an IPA. I'm going to go ahead and tell this short story. I didn't drink beer at all. I wasn't a drinker until, let's say, I was 45 years old, and my boss put me in charge of the beer department in a local grocery store chain that we were running. I'm the type of person I want to do well in anything that I do, so I need to learn about beer. I started drinking beer um, as much as I could. That explains the weight gain. Probably explains why it took me so long to recover from my hernia surgery. Anyway, the first time I had an IPA, I thought maybe I had been poisoned. But eventually, I developed a taste for it, and I came to crave it. There we go. This also brings up the question of why Fennec Shand was there. She said she was there to meet someone. Are we ever going to find out who she was there to meet? That would be interesting. I don't know that it would apply to the story. I would just like to know. I'm nosy. Boba asked Fennec Shand to help him get his ship back. And he called it his fire spray gunship, and it was awkward, it was obvious, and I hated it, okay? I have to think that was maybe Disney forcing their hand because he very easily and much more naturally could have said, I want you to help me get my ship back, and that could have been it. He didn't need to say, I want you to help me get my fire spray gunship back. That would be like me saying, um, hey, I need you to come with me and let's just get in my Kia K5. No, I would just say, let's get in the car. I guess I know why it's happening. I just don't like it. And, you know, I don't have to like everything. We have another moment where uh, Boba and his Bantha, it's like a boy and his dog type situation. It's a moment. They have a moment. It's kind of nice. Basically, he's releasing the Bantha into the wild, telling it to have a happy life and go make baby Banthas. That'll be the next streaming series, Book of Bantha. Boba Fett also takes some time and tells Fennec Shand that he's going to create his own crime family. He wants to run the show. He's tired of working for idiots. 
I worked retail a long time, and I'm here to tell you, brother, I relate. I can't tell you how many times a new manager was brought into the store, and immediately it was apparent that he or she had never done the actual job. They had no idea what it took to get things done, but they set these lofty expectations and couldn't understand why things weren't happening. So yeah, Boba, I get it. I didn't want to work for idiots anymore either. Now that I'm a manager, I make a conscious effort not to manage that way. Okay, so they sneak into Jabba's palace, still going to call it that, through uh, a drainage grate of some sort. Fennec Shan melts the bars with some kind of gadget. I don't know what it is. It's like acid. It eats right through the bars. Now remember that because I'll talk more about that later. They wind up coming up through the grates in the kitchen. Um, there are two droids there cooking. Boba takes out an EV droid. It's not EV-99 because EV-99 showed up in the Mando doing a very different job. So, But it is an EV droid. Fennec takes out this chef droid. Um, it's six arms, got tons of knives. And basically, as it's threatening Boba, she sneaks up behind it and just uses that same gadget or acid to basically take its head off. Kind of nice. Then a rat catcher droid shows up, and what ensues here is what I can only describe as a scene right out of Ratatouille, or uh, Little Mermaid, where someone is chasing something smaller throughout a kitchen and wreaking havoc. It's comical, and a bit ridiculous, I might add. Boba Fett is chasing this droid through the kitchen, and it's crazy. They finally make it to the ship, we're just going to say the ship, and Fennec really shines here. I mean, obviously, she's equally skilled in hand-to-hand combat and marksmanship. Ming-Na Wen is so impressive in this role and in this moment. I I could watch this scene over and over and over. It's funny to me, and, and I was talking to Travis about this a little bit ago, it's funny to me that they followed up this wacky, zany kitchen scene with one of the most action-packed escape scenes in the series. So after this badass battle, Fennec shoots the counterweight to the door, and the look on her face, Ming-Na Wen. My goodness. So they escape with the Slave One, and Boba says to Fennec, your debt is paid, where would you like to be dropped? Meaning, you know, he's, he's as far as he's concerned, she's good to go. But she decides to ride along and see what's up. So this is the start of their partnership. I really like that. Their relationship now is solid with me. I understand their bond. There's a good give and take there. She's going to be loyal to him because she understands his journey. I'm not worried later down the road that she's going to betray him. Now, if it still happens, I'll be pissed off, but I'm not worried about it now. Boba Fett says he has a few scores to settle. First and foremost, the Kenton Striders for killing the Tuscans. Is that what we're calling him? Let's take a second here. I have always called them Tuscan Raiders. In A New Hope, uh, Obi-Wan called them Sand People, and I didn't think much of it, but now thinking about that term, Sand People feels, uh, feels a bit racist, if I'm being honest. So I don't want to call them Sand People. But Tuscan Raiders isn't right either. I don't imagine they would call themselves that. So the name Tuscan Raider came from a story I heard a long time ago in this very galaxy, where a bunch of humans, I guess moisture farmers and whatnot, had all gathered in Fort Tuscan, somewhere in the Dune Sea. And they were being attacked by, I guess we'll use sand people here, and all the humans 
were killed, so the sand people that killed all the humans were then called the Tuscan Raiders. I don't think in this situation they would call themselves that. Yes, we are the Tuscan Raiders. No, they have a name for themselves. I'd be interested to know what that is. In this episode, Boba calls them both. So I don't know what to do there. He was part of the clan and he's calling them both. I, I guess anything goes. So the score against the Kenton Riders is settled pretty much immediately once they have the Slave 1. They're wiped out in a, a really cool fashion. You see them riding through the desert and the ship coming up behind him. And he just lays waste to the entire group. It's so much fun. The coolest part of all of that is finally we have a satisfactory mode of transportation. This ship is going to get them from point A to point B quickly. Jesus, it took four episodes to get there. All right, where are we heading next in the ship? We are going back to the Sarlacc pit. Boba thinks his armor must still be in there. He doesn't know it was taken by the dirty Jawas. He was so out of it, he doesn't remember what happened. That's crazy. Now, he says something here. He says, this is where I was trapped all those years ago. This says something about the timeline. So he did spend most of the years between Return of the Jedi and present day, which is about five or six years after Return of the Jedi, with the Tuscans. That explains why he's so pissed off at these Kenton Riders. But it also lends credence to my theory, which most of that five or six years was spent with him riding back and forth through the desert on a slow-ass bantha. What a waste of time. So we get some cool shots of the ship looking down into the Sarlacc pit with Jabba's sail barge in the background all destroyed. It is so awesome. And what happens next is straight out of a horror movie, and this is where Robert Rodriguez earns his paycheck, in my opinion. I assumed Boba escaping the Sarlacc killed the Sarlacc. It looked dead to me, anyway. But this thing comes to life and attacks the ship. I have to admit, now I'm afraid of the Sarlacc. Before, in Return of the Jedi, it was like, um, it really wasn't much different from the, the plant from Little Shop of Horrors with the beak that they added on in the special edition. I wasn't afraid of that. Feed me, Jabba! But this, seeing it attack the ship and, and the way it was portrayed... That was scary. That was worthy of like, oh shit, let's be afraid of the Sarlacc. Before it was like, eh, let's just not go close to the hole in the desert and then we'll be fine. This, okay, it's scary. Once again, Fennec to the rescue with everyone's favorite seismic charge. She drops it down into the Sarlacc's beak. Holy crap, it's dead now. It's got to be dead now, right? It's got to be. It's got to be dead this time. Uh, Boba Fett doesn't say thank you, this, that, and the other. What does he say? Don't touch my buttons next time. Fennec Shan can touch my buttons whenever she wants. I'm just saying. I'm just putting it out there. It's just, sorry, I'm just putting it out there. So with the Sarlacc dead, he climbs down into it, um, and then Fennec Shan pulls him out. He's covered in slime and gook. Uh, I guess stomach acid that is eaten away at his clothes. And Fennec, in true Fennec fashion doesn't really have compassion. She basically tells him, dude, it's not there. Don't worry about it. Give up on the armor chase. You got better things to do. Remember I said that? That'll come up later. Now, Boba said he needs brains and muscle. He says that Fennec has both and offers his loyalty to her, pledging his life to protect hers. I'd be okay with that. I'd be like, oh, okay, cool. Let's, let's do this then. But Fennec calls him weak. And he's like, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm not weak. I have a mission. At this point, the flashback jumps to Boba and Fennec in the after credit scene of Mando Season 2, where he shoots Big Fat Bib Fortuna and takes the palace. 
Then he comes out of the back to tank, and his dressing droid says, Congratulations, Master Fett, you are completely healed. So, does this mean no more flashbacks? No more backstory? I guess the show can function with what we have, but I wouldn't mind a little more. I was having fun back then. The rest of this episode takes place in present day, so what do we have? We have Boba getting dressed, saying he wants to show his face in town to prove he isn't afraid of the pikes. Fennec warns him. She says that might not be a great idea, but he's going to do it anyway. So he goes to the sanctuary. All right, so he walks in the door of the sanctuary, and what do we see? Patrons, you know, gambling, having fun. We see Black Chrysanthemum, all drunk and angry, just like I am. Look, I'm an older guy. I get angry easily. I don't like crowds, so in this situation, I'd probably be angry. Add a few beers... I'd be very angry, so I understand where Black Chrysanthemum is in this moment. Now, he's getting pissed off at a group of Trandoshans gambling and minding their own business. What we all need to understand, I actually had a conversation with someone online who didn't know why he was so pissed off. Wookiees and Trandoshans have beef. It's like East Coast and West Coast rappers. There's beef there. Trandoshans used to enslave Wookiees. Um, we saw a Trandoshan offer in tribute to Boba Fett a Wookiee pelt. That shit ain't cool. Um, so yeah, there's always been beef there. One thing to note is that as a younger bounty hunter, Boba Fett used to work with Bosk, who is a Trandoshan, and he, Boba Fett had Wookiee braids, like two Wookiee braids, attached to his like cape or poncho or whatever. So that shit ain't cool either. Makes you wonder where he falls on that whole East Coast, West Coast thing. Black Chrysanthemum, that's hard to say. I'm just going to call him BK. BK gets angrier and angrier until he's just had enough. And he beats the shit out of these Trandoshans, trashing the place, and is about to tear arms off the last Trandoshan when suddenly, Twi'lek Jennifer Beale steps in. Now she's petting his ego, trying to defuse the situation, and trying to talk him down. In this moment, you have to understand, she's not a good casino owner because she should have stepped in way before it got this far out of hand. If I'm a casino owner and I know I've got cameras everywhere, if I see Trandoshans in the mix and a Wookiee in the building, immediately I would be taking steps to separate them just because of the history. But she doesn't do that. Instead, she waits till the bitter end. She steps in, makes her little speech. Quite frankly, it doesn't work. Now, if she were to come up to me and make that speech wearing what she was wearing, I'd let that transition go. I'm just saying, she looked pretty good in this moment. Another note is that uh, Jennifer Beale's character, Garza Thwip, Garza Thwip, Garza Thwip, boy, that really doesn't roll off the tongue, does it? She's playing this whole ordeal very smart. She's not really pledging fealty to one side or the other until a winner is obvious to her. And that's a good move, at least for her. If I were Boba Fett, I'd be petitioning pretty damn heavily to get her on my team. She's a cool customer, and she obviously has some skills. Plus, you know, I mentioned she's smoking hot. At the end of her speech, she offers to wipe out BK's bar tab if he lets the Trandoshan go. It doesn't work. He rips off a Trandoshan arm and another lost limb added to the annals of Star Wars history. One of these days we're going to have to do a count. Boba says, hey, it was worth a shot. And then he follows BK out and he offers him a job. And then finally we get 
the dinner scene with the crime families. This is very Mario Puzo. This is very Godfather. Um, it includes a rancor scare that's that's really cool to see. Basically, they say they're not going to join forces with Boba Fett, but they will remain neutral if the Pikes try to get them to interfere. Then we see Boba and Fennec on their balcony watching the families leave. They both know this agreement's paper thin and it's not going to last, so they say they need muscle. Fennec says, how much money do we have? Because money equals muscle. And at that time, we hear the theme music from The Mandalorian. So who are we going to see? Are we going to get to see The Mandalorian? With Bryce Dallas Howard directing the next episode, she was the one that introduced us to Bo-Katan in live action. So will we get to see Bo-Katan again? I'd be totally down with that. Kind of takes me down the rabbit hole of who else we might get on Boba's team. He's got Black Kersantan, he's got Fennec, he's got his two Gamorreans, Ham and Link. And he's got the mods for, you know, whatever good they are. I would love to see some characters from The Mandalorian show up. I wouldn't hate that at all. But I'd also really enjoy it if we got to see Bosk, Dengar, Zuckus and Forlom, IG-88, any of them, any of the old bounty hunters. I'd love to see any of that, but I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Okay, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll hear from a listener in a faraway land. And then we'll talk a bit more about Book of Boba Fett and have some more fun. Stick around. Star Wars Collection, the new Darth Vader TIE Fighter. Careful, Luke, we've got company. X-Wing Fighter and action figures sold separately. Batteries not included. It's on our tail, Luke. Darth Vader's TIE Fighter has flashing light, action sound. Luke's force is strong, but we've got him now. Oh, no, you don't. We've lost our solar panels. Perfect hit. I'll be back. Kenner's new Star Wars Darth Vader TIE Fighter. X-Wing Fighter and action figure each sold separately. Okay, welcome back. I hope you guys enjoyed the break. I know I did. I was actually having a, a bit of a conversation with an old friend. Um, well, she's not old. Our friendship's old. She's fine. Everything's fine. Um, but Jennifer is doing some home remodel projects, and she had a bit of self-doubt. You can do this. If I could do it, you can do it. Okay. I wanted to get into some more kind of random thoughts on Book of Boba Fett that didn't really fit into the recap that I did. I figured now's as good a time as any to just kind of talk about some things. First and foremost, in the recap, I kept saying, when I talked about Fennec, I kept saying, remember that I said that. Well, this is where that's going to come into play. Thinking about assassins, master assassins in the streaming series that we have so far. So we have... IG-11 was an assassin droid turned bounty hunter. Fennec Shand, master assassin, also bounty hunter. I want to put those two against each other. So let's do that right here, right now. Fennec Shand, very stealthy. She would rather do things quietly. And I can appreciate that. IG-11, very direct. He just wants to walk onto the scene and deal with the problem right there in your face. Fennec Shand, sharpshooter. In the scene where they are liberating the Slave One, she did not miss. Every shot was a hit. I did not see one miss. Um, IG-11, in the last episode of Season 1 of Mandalorian, when he was riding into town with Baby Yoda in the bag on the speeder bike, didn't miss. Not a single miss. So they're very equal here. Now, this is where it gets a little weird. 
in this latest episode of Book of Boba Fett, we see Fennec Shand cut into the bars of the grate with this. I still can't tell what it is. If it's a gadget or if it's just like some kind of acid or whatever that she puts on the bars, takes a couple of seconds and she's in. If you remember, IG-11, he could have benefited from this. When they were trying to escape the client's room, when the stormtroopers and everyone, they were trying to storm the room, IG-11's plan was to just kick the shit out of these bars all damn day until he finally broke through. Where's the gadget? Where's the acid? Finally, and this is where it takes a weird turn, Fennec Shand is very cold. I understand that that's probably needed in her line of work, but she's very much um, at arm's length with Boba Fett in some situations. He would say something, and you would think this would be a good time for her to be like, oh, yeah, I understand, and, and maybe bond with him. But no, typically she's like, hey, suck it up, pal. Let's go. We got work to do. IG-11 was quite compassionate, especially after the nurse modification that Quill did. So given all this information, I'm just going to go ahead and pick Fennec Shand. She's goddamn amazing. She has everything IG-11 has and then some. So as far as Master Assassins go, if I were to pick one to be in my corner, absolutely Fennec Shand. Another point with the Book of Boba Fett, this is going to be very quick, very direct. I believe Boba Fett goes to the same dentist that Gary Busey goes to. Those choppers are something else. Okay, it's time to go to the mailbag. Ooh, we got a package today all the way from Ireland. Super listener Sharon sent me a t-shirt that I am now going to poorly describe to you. Um... It's a black t-shirt with uh, Darth Vader on the front. There's a star field behind him. And it says, Sharon, I'm, I'm trying here. Bear with me. Is Misha Daher. Which translates to, I'm your father. Sharon sent this to me as a thank you for the, all the content I'm putting out. Also as a thank you for me sending her the Lobot figure. If you guys have seen the pictures I posted on social media of all the Lobot figures in different scenarios. Those are her. That She's doing all that work. She's amazing. So Sharon, thank you. The shirt is awesome and I'm going to wear it quite proudly. Your gift made me realize that I have a responsibility to you listeners. This show is a commitment and I owe it to you all to put out the best product I can. I don't have access to the inside scoop on Star Wars projects. I don't have the connections to get the big name interviews. But what I do have is a lifelong love for the Star Wars universe, a very strange sense of humor, and an eye for detail. So I'll use all those to bring you a show that I hope is fun and worth coming back to each week. Now, Sharon also sent a really cool audio clip that tied in to a chat that she and I had about her love of Tatooine. Um, we're going to take a few minutes here and just listen to that now. Why I Can't Get Enough of Tatooine by Sharon Donahue, aged 50. I live in Ireland. It rains more or less continuously. It might be the wettest non-tropical place I've ever been to. We have disappointingly cold summers, lamentably mild winters. It's cloudy a lot thanks to the North Atlantic generously accumulating and dumping its precipitation on us. That's why it's so bloody green all the time. The Emerald Isle indeed. So what's this got to do with Star Wars? Well, I was five when Star Wars was released. 
Tatooine appears, a vast, dry, hot desert. It didn't look misty, it was not boggy underfoot. It was indeed a different galaxy far, far away. In fact, it could not have been more alien to an Irish kid if it tried. The contrasting amber rock and cerulean blue sky was magical and sadly unattainable here. Later in school, I learned about desert habitats and how indigenous people and animals managed to survive there. That was very cool. Tatooine had twin suns, and I learned that binary stars do exist in our own universe. That was also cool. I was hooked. I could never hope to experience Tatooine itself, but I could visit habitats that looked and felt a little bit like it. I found myself planning to go there, if only by proxy. Saved up for my first adventure, and age 25 I travelled through Egypt, narrowly missing bombings in Cairo by weeks and the terrible terrorist attack at Hatshepsut's temple by two days. I camped in the Eastern Sahara with the Bedouin. I sort of imagined I was a Tuscan raider, but I didn't tell them that. I didn't cope well with the massive ants congregating around the edge of the fire pit, waiting to no doubt taste my pale skin. I crossed the Suez Canal and I climbed Mount Sinai to see a sunrise. Just one sun, but you know, beggars can't be choosers. Age 33, I drove through the Mojave Desert to Death Valley in California which at least did have a link to Star Wars. I drove through Red Rock Canyon in Nevada and I walked through Canyon Lands, Arches and Monument Valley National Parks in Utah. I met more indigenous people living on the edge of what seemed impossible. I was reminded that during the great hunger of 1845 to 1847, native peoples in America sent money to my ancestors to help stave off famine. They too had experienced the tyranny of colonialism. I watched Revenge of the Sith in a tiny cinema in Cayenta, Arizona. We were the only non-Navajo patrons there that day, maybe any day. Closer to home, I sought out desert landscapes. I clambered through the obsidian volcanic sands of Lanzarote and the white shifting dunes of Fuerteventura. Further afield, I experienced the auburn particles of Australia's red centre. I was treated for anaphylaxis to insect bites in Uluru. I crisp up like bacon in deserts having that fair skin and hair, and apparently I'm also tasty to the local blood-sucking creatures. Each journey I've described was inspired by those initial images of C-3PO, R2-D2, Luke, Obi-Wan, Uncle Owen and Aunt Peru in Star Wars. The beauty of those 1977 vistas are embedded deep in my conscious and unconscious mind. As I write this, I realise two of my dogs are Saluki crosses. They are, of course, Arabian desert sighthounds. That can't be a coincidence. They need rain gear here, but on Tatooine, they'd totally be at home. That completely alien landscape, as captured by George Lucas, creates not just a nostalgia for childhood awe, but it has been realised in adulthood, with opportunities to seek out vast, unexplored wilderness and to feel part of something so massive, you actually become as insignificant as a single grain of sand. It grounds you, figuratively and literally. So while some people may be jaded by the Tatooine flashbacks in the Book of Boba Fett, I want more. I can't get enough of the light, the warm tones of rock, sand, sky, and the otherness of the flora and the fauna. Having said that, like Anakin, I don't like sand. It does get everywhere. I think the sands of Tatooine are, however, deep in my psyche, reflecting a childhood of wonder and joy. A curiosity has spurred me on to have experiences and reflections I'll never forget. What else might Tatooine inspire me to do? Well, maybe someday I'll get to Tunisia where it all started. I might rest then.
Wow. Okay. So I have two comments right off the bat. First of all, Sharon, you talk funny. <laughs> I'm kidding. I, I told her I was going to say that. But seriously, Sharon, thank you so much for sharing that. Your love for Star Wars is clearly rooted in the fabric of who you are. If I'm being honest, I'm a little worried about the feedback I'm going to get from this clip. That was so well said. On top of your beautiful voice and lovely Irish accent, I'm afraid all my listeners are going to demand that I talk less and the eloquent Irish lady talk more. So I'm going to extend this invitation to you, Sharon. Anytime you want to send me an audio clip, I'll gladly play it on the show. I'm actually going to open that up to all listeners. If you have any comments, any questions, any whatever it is, record your audio clip and Email it to me at theforceofcourse77 at gmail.com. I will absolutely play it on the show and react in kind. Let's go ahead and connect that way. I mean, Star Wars is all about connections, connecting with each other, sharing our fandom, connecting us to the world around us, which Sharon's story demonstrated in a big, big way. And finally, connecting with our imaginations. All right. I think I've done enough damage for one day. Let's go ahead and wrap up the show here. If you enjoyed what you hear, please do me a favor. Tell a buddy, tell a friend. Word of mouth is the number one way to grow the audience. And the audience is growing. I appreciate that. You can also give me a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and now Spotify. That's a new feature. I'll take any reviews I can get. Feel free to interact with me on social media at The Force of Course on Facebook and Instagram. And you can email the show directly at theforceofcourse77 at gmail.com. This has been another episode of The Force, of course, your bite-sized Star Wars podcast. I'm your host, Ted, and as always, play with your toys.